Welcome back to the Lawali Life podcast. I'm Alice Law and I'm your host and founder of Lawali Life, which is my coaching practice I've set up to help people become the calmest person they know, overcoming, managing and preventing stress so they can reach their greatest potential. This podcast is based purely around stress and loss, and it's a mixture of conversations with incredible leaders in their fields, talking about the greatest stresses and losses they've personally had to overcome and how they came back from them. I look at stress and loss in this podcast as it's a fate we all share to go through stress and to experience loss. And I want to dissect that to understand how people have dealt with it themselves and come back from it stronger so that you can come back stronger through yours. Today I'm joined by the wonderful Poppy Jamie, who's an entrepreneur, a mental wellness advocate, founder of the award-winning mindfulness app, Happy Not Perfect, and a podcast host for the Not Perfect podcast, and one half of Pop and Suki, the fashion brand. I love this conversation with Poppy because it was so wonderful to hear about her own journey of mental health, how she went from TV presenter to founding a mindfulness app that's helping so many people. She's got such a down-to-earth approach and is so open to talk to, so I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Today on the podcast, we had the amazing Poppy JB. I'm so excited to have you here, Pops, because... I've actually interviewed like my cousin and um, he was the first person I'd interviewed who was sort of a friend or family member and it's usually so, you know, varied and different but it's so nice to actually have someone I know on the podcast and have you here today so thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited about this and it's been a long term coming. Yeah, exactly. No, I'm going to get a lot into a lot of things today and I'm really excited to hear, you know, more about your mental health journey yourself as well. So... To begin with, I'd love for you to just tell us a bit about, you know, your story. How did you go from being a TV presenter to founding, you know, an app based on mindfulness? I mean, what was that journey for you? Um, It has been a journey. Uh, Gosh, I feel that the last few years of your 20s are the, the most kind of impactful years. I don't know. And... I know if anyone follows astrology, Saturn return would suggest that too. But I feel like from the age of 25 to now just turning 30, it it was like finally discovering all of these things around mental health and mental wellness was like going into a dishwasher and being, or tumble dryer, that's probably a better metaphor, a tumble dryer (laughs) and having like whack, whack, whack 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 and uh, and I'm just at the rinsing stage I feel <laughs> Such a good so, analogy. It, <laughs> so it's been a real journey um and I guess you know the more you know the more you realize you don't know anything and I certainly are at that stage now which in a way is actually bringing me a lot of peace I guess kind of like coming to terms with not knowing but like just taking every day as it comes because when I was 25 when this kind of all started and I feel like some of the factors that led to this car crash of a burnout was the fact that I was so hyper controlling over my life I was such a perfectionist like everything had to be planned and organized I knew exactly where I was going and I had a life plan and I was going to do this and I was going to do this and I worked every single minute of the day and I um you know would get up early and it was 
I treated myself like a complete machine. And, um, you know, I just thought, well, if I put down the pedal uh, further, then I'm going to go faster. And obviously that did not happen because suddenly I had a very come to Jesus moment of being human and I completely broke. My mental health was in complete tatters. Anxiety and stress became so chronic to the point where I became, I, and I'm a, I love coffee. I, I, I'm a coffee drinker and I couldn't even drink coffee. Like I rejected it because I couldn't have any sort of stimulus. And I was like this for, I would say the best part of the year. Um, it was, I had the kind of total adrenal burnout crash um, when, I mean, everything was like swollen and inflamed and my stomach was like so bloated and um, and I went to hospital and, you know, I was kind of expecting this huge diagnosis, you know, tell me I've got, you know, like malaria, meningitis, like give me a reason for why I felt so terrible. And it was just, you are chronically stressed and burnt out. And then I started to realize, well, that is actually uh pretty severe in itself and something that I think prior to this you know we've swept everything around mental health under the carpet it's like oh I'm stressed everyone's stressed and oh I'm tired of everyone's tired but when you're chronically tired and you're chronically stressed uh it does actually take you um it's it's a very very uh, strong message to say like stop and reflect upon why because human beings were not supposed to be living at like twenty percent capacity um, and also when your when your life is so full if one thing goes wrong you don't have the emotional capacity to say okay that's gone wrong I just would like it was you know everything was the straw that broke the camel's back everything would create a breakdown everything would create hysteria everything would it would would you know like have me having like a million calls to everyone like trying to sort out my drama but there was no drama it was just that I didn't have the emotional capacity to be able to manage anything because I was so full up and um and I was tv hosting at the time and I had a I launched the first talk show on snapchat um and I'd, I'd worked in the UK and I'd came over to the US and I'd been working with MTV and E and Extra and you know it was like a seemingly on the outside this super glamorous life you know Instagram had just started and um and and all of these things but inside I was a crippling wreck and through Snapchat and the community there I started to get thousands of messages from people all around the world saying I'm feeling really stressed about this I'm feeling feeling really worried about that and I was reading all of them saying yeah me too me too me too me too and actually it was this like lovely reassurance that I wasn't the only one who wasn't living this like gloriously wonderful life and I feel like the conversations changed a lot in the last five years since I started in this sense I think we're a lot more honest I think people are a lot more honest on Instagram I think we're aware of the effects then 2015 I, I I gave a TED talk called addicted to likes so I was becoming really aware of these things I suppose quite early on in this social media journey that we all kind of jumped on and I'm not sure we all knew what train we were getting on when we signed signed up and um, and then from that, I suddenly thought, well, if all of us are struggling this much, surely there must be something I could build that would not only help myself, but also help other people who are also finding life a bit overwhelming. Yeah. And it's just, it's such a great, it's such a great app. It's so cool because it's like having that little, those tools in your pocket really easily to use. 
and available at any time. So, I mean, what was the process for you for deciding what should be in it? Because, you know, you've got journaling, you've got meditation, you've got gratitude, all these great things. But how did you decide what you should put in it and what you shouldn't, if that makes sense? So I started, you know, when I was feeling really, I guess, poorly, um, I started to read a lot about kind of, I guess, the science behind happiness and the science behind feeling good, because I was kind of concerned as to why I didn't feel good. And also, I'm a really high energy person. So it also like terrified me even more that I wasn't like this self that I knew myself to be. And, um, and so I was in LA at the time and I teamed up with, um, a neuroscientist and I tracked him down on Twitter and I, he'd written a book that I'd fallen completely in love with. And it was called the upward spiral using neuroscience to reverse the course of depression, one change at a time. And the neuroscientist was called Alex Korb. And my mother is a, a psychotherapist. So I've, And it's interesting because you'd think, well, how did you end up in that mess if you have a mother who's a psychotherapist? But I think, you know, like with all of these journeys, it doesn't matter what you know, it's about doing what you know. And that was really the main kind of motivation for the app because I thought, okay, I can read these books and be inspired. I can sit there and listen to my mom who's told me, you know, for 20 years to do these things but the fact is I wasn't doing them and that's why I thought it was really interesting to turn mental wellness rituals that have been you know been been being participated in for hundreds of thousands of I mean maybe not that long but you know hundreds of years and eastern philosophy if you look at the Tao and you know and um and Buddhism and all of these things these seemingly very simple exercises have been used in rituals to support our well-being but have often get lo- get get lost in textbooks and at the time the the science of happiness course at Yale I think it was was the most oversubscribed course and I just thought that seems really unfair to me that you've got to go to an elite university to learn about your well-being or to practice your well-being and that was I guess my greatest learning through my recovery was you know, mental wellness is just like physical fitness. It only happens when you actually do it. We can't read a book about sit-ups and expect to get abs. You know, it's about doing it. And that's the same with our mind. And I think we're all on this like precipice of like changing our behavior around our mind and seeing that it is as a doing activity, not as just a kind of knowing about it. Yeah, and I love that. It's completely true. You know, with your mind, what you practice gets stronger, good or bad. It's just we're all practicing the bad without realizing. And I love what you say about, you know, going back to those ancient philosophies, because I think it's really ironic, actually, that some of the things that are now being used again have actually been around for centuries. I mean, Reiki and energy healing, for example, that was the first ever healing modality before any medicine, before anything. And it's just all these things start to come back up years later and we wonder why probably because they were the best things to begin with which is quite quite amusing so I always ask everyone this question on the podcast um for you what is the greatest stress or loss you've had to overcome oh um oh well you know I would say that um I mean, so I guess like so. I feel like so many. I feel like so many things in a way. Like I feel like I had, I had ten years 
of um I feel just like uh, like in a way it felt like constant life punches and um and they and they all they all are very relative so for example I remember what was quite formative like I'll say I, I guess if I could answer two that would be great yeah, one being and I think useful for I guess if any listeners are like younger so I have been like complete and utter workaholic since I was 12 like honestly my revision my revision schedules were like tailored to the minute it was like 7:39 out of bed 7:45 coffee 7:50 revision english dinner and you know I was always just just absurd like that so I and also been really determined and really ambitious literally since the day I was born. I've always just been that sort of person. And I remember like really wanting to go to this university and um, absolutely desperate to go. And it's feel, this feels so minor compared to, I'm sure people can say death or, you know, these like huge accidents. So as, as I said, this is really relative, but I think it's interesting because sometimes the smallest things that seem the smallest things can actually impact our lives quite a lot. And you're embarrassed about the micro trauma it had. But I remember like, desperate this was my future I was going to go to this one university in particular and that was it and every single day I mean for two years my entire life was governed by this one dream I had and then on the last exam that I was going to do I accidentally and I never did this because I was so you know such a geek in all aspects my phone went off in this exam and it disqualified me from the A-level so something out of my control completely destroyed the life plan that I had so I ended up leaving school with only like two A-levels and it was a complete in for in my life at the time complete disaster it was like my greatest dream was my future destroyed by something that was completely out of my control and actually it led to the greatest change and fork in the road that I've ever been on because it meant that that for, that made me move to London and then I started my career and then in that summer I got stabbed in the head which was also quite traumatic so I had the posters in three months like my future destroyed I was stabbed in the head in a bookshop and I just thought this like oh my god like this this is life and honestly I am so grateful for both of those things that happened when I was 18 because it gave me this very very real understanding that if plans don't go according to plan it's always working out for our greatest good and that was one of the most beautiful lessons that I've ever learned and I guess it really strengthened my spirituality in a way in that like have trust because I think when things are so uncertain when you you know uh, that quote like uh, kind of uh, like a god or whatever word you use the universe laughs when you tell him your her your plans and it was it was a real example of that it's just like you know we have these plans and then suddenly you know so universal whatever you call it like has a greater plan for us and to be able to surrender into that is was the greatest lesson and then I think the other kind of like change or loss would have to probably do it to be around heartbreak and I think that that has also, I mean, 
I'm such an attached person in the sense that I like fall in love really quickly and I become deeply attached to like everyone. <laughs> and, you know, even the most minor relationships that like last honestly like a couple of months, I would just be so <laughs> broken over them. <laughs> and it's so ridiculous. But it's so, you know, it's just, I guess, like so human, like we are interrelational beings. And I guess like heartbreak has taught me so much too, um, in the sense of, um, of, 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 again, like accepting change, um, and, um, and, you know, and, and something that I'm learning recently is, is, is like, is this kind of balance between masculine and feminine energy, like one person, like if you're a, if, you know, if one person has both masculine and feminine energy in them and, uh, and actually finding my masculine energy within me and relying on my own masculine energy um, uh, and not kind of like outsourcing that. And, and so that's been, you know, I guess like that's been like an ongoing kind of like lesson. Yeah, I love that. And talking about like heartbreak and something, I've actually never talked about heartbreak on the podcast before. So I'm really glad you brought that up because, you know, everyone has different stress or losses they've had to overcome and it's not always death at all. It's been a very different, varied response from different people, but no one's um, used heartbreak yet as an example. And I really, I'd love to, you know, talk about that a little bit more because I think it's something that everyone goes through. Usually I say this with, you know, with death as well. It's funny that people are weird with grief because it's a fate we all share, you know, to die and to know someone who will, you know, we love who dies. And equally, I think another fate we all share is to have our heart broken. <laughs> I don't think, unless, you know, there are the odd lucky people who, I'm talking about in the Western world, obviously, the odd lucky few who meet their, you know, soulmate or whatever at 16 and that's it for them. And that's wonderful. But the majority of us are going through, wading through a lot of challenges and, you know, highs and lows and heartbreaks and ups and downs. So, I mean, for you with that, how did you sort of, come to being sort of changing that being confident to wade through the heartbreaks because as you say if you you now tapped into that masculine energy what was that shift for you from being sort of really in your feminine energy and heartbroken to sort of not you can still be heartbroken of course but sort of relying more on your masculinity to as you say keep you going and not thinking I need a relationship because you are enough as your own yeah I think heartbreak you know, and actually one of um, one of my, my mentors said heartbreak is often harder than grief because you essentially have lost someone and a really important person in your life. But, you know, they are still there. So it's even harder sometimes to get your head around because, you know, especially if it's a very, you know, kind of affirmative end, it's really odd to think, but I, 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 I physically can reach out to this person but I can't and so um and I also think that you know um like heartbreak can take years in years to um to recover from and I actually think that's a really important thing to acknowledge and appreciate about it because often I think we um minimize it and we're like why am I not feeling better and actually on my podcast, I've done a lot of episodes around heartbreak because for that exact reason, like, you know, heartbreak is just as traumatic as a broken leg. 
And yet when we have a broken leg, everyone can see the broken leg. Everyone can say, oh my, you know, everyone doesn't expect this miraculous recovery. Everyone knows that you've got to take it easy for, you know, six to eight weeks while you're in a cast. But heartbreak obviously is unseen and it is just as painful and the body reacts in the same way. And, um, you know, it's, you know, it's an emotional wound. Um, And, um, you know, I do think, again, like looking back, they have been the best ever things that have happened because I think when like you're broken emotionally, it's some of the only times you can create new habits because you are so, you can't be in autopilot mode. So let's say, you know, for example, like sometimes the hardest thing for me when I like, you know, relationships break up is that you're breaking up with the best friend. So you've got into this habit of chatting to them like every night or you seeing them and you do like really lovely things. And then suddenly like it's the end and you're like, you have all this time that was allocated to this relationship and suddenly it's empty. And that's when I think the loneliness can creep in because you're like, reminded of your aloneness in these moments like, you know, a Sunday night, I know uh, that is often the hardest times when you're recovering from heartbreak because you're like, but on Sunday night, we used to watch a film and it was just like really cozy and we had that ritual and love. And suddenly you're like, oh, it's just me. And, um, and it can bring up those moments. And I don't often, you know, I guess like some of the learnings for me is sometimes I'm not actually grieving for the other person. You're grieving for yourself. You're actually grieving for this loneliness that you're feeling, not necessarily like, cause you want the other person, but what the other person played. And I guess like, you know, kind of my like musings over the past few years is really understanding relationships as mirrors. Like they are our greatest growth tool. Like I think we learn the most through our reflection in others. You know, what annoys us about other people is often what we're annoyed about ourselves, you know, and you know, the 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 we can only see the light in others what we hold in ourselves. We can only see the darkness in others what we hold in ourselves. So I just think like relationships and heartbreak are just the most fascinating things that we, as you quite right, like such a beautiful thing. And um, in what you said about like, you know, death is a fate we will share and so is heartbreak. But, um, you know, it's, it, it's, again, it's like another like life mystery, I guess, where life mystery in that the fact that we have to repair ourselves and go out again in the battlefield of love, <laughs> you know, and do it all over again and hopefully not as hard. <laughs> It's so true. It's like, and again, off we go. And just, you know, that's the amazing optimism of love as humans, isn't it? Because it's what we all crave is connection and love. And so, you know, the majority of people will just keep going out there again to try and find that and hopefully do, um, which is a great thing because it really just shows how, how important, how important it is and how it sort of makes the world go around really, which is, which is a nice sentiment. <laughs> So speaking of love, actually, self-love when it comes to social media is something that's, you know, it's really quite tricky because, you know, talking about, for example, your TED Talk, Addicted to Likes, that was a really great thing to listen to because I remember listening to it um, recently again and I was like, you were talking about what essentially the social dilemma and everything have also been discussing recently, but, you know, five years ago. And it is just the the awful reality that, the youth of today, the younger generations, our generation, everyone is either addicted to social media or unconsciously are, you know, comparing themselves, are, you know, looking for external validation through social media and all these things. So that's really hard to feel sort of that 
unwavering love for yourself when you're constantly doing that with, with social media without even realizing so I mean from your perspective how has sort of your well knowing of it changed through the way you use social media and what do you think can sort of be done for the future generations to come because as we said in the social dilemma it's almost like you watch it and think oh wow we're all screwed <laughs> we addict ourselves from this but it's it's definitely got to be a conscious choice yeah completely I mean you know as we all know God, if the devil was going to create drugs, it would have created Instagram, right? Because it is just like, it plays with our ego. Like, do people like me? Do they not like me? How do I look? Like, what does everyone think of me? Um, How is my outward identity portrayed? Um, And I just remember, you know, as you said, like thinking about this years ago and um, just thinking to myself, God, how odd. Like our digital avatar is now more important than our real self because, I'm sure everyone's been in those conversations where they're like, oh, have you met so-and-so? And they're like, oh, no, show me, show me their Instagram. And you're like, oh, God, like, my Instagram now is my work profile. It's my dating profile. It's, um, you know, it has, like, has these multiple functions. And how on earth, like, you know, you change, like, everyone's slightly altered themselves. Like, the person they are on a Friday night is probably slightly different from the person they are on a Wednesday morning at a board meeting. But the problem with Instagram is that you've got to be everything in this one 2D version. So, you know, I do, I have seen more and more people come off Instagram, I guess. And there is, and I think that the, 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 the pinnacle point of it, I do think we are past that. And I think that we are all now re-navigating it in a way that most suits us. And I think that like with everything in culture, it all comes in like ebbs and flows. Um, but, you know, there's there's also like brilliant things about it. Like yesterday, I like really needed help with this like video editor. And I went on Twitter and I was like, oh, does anybody know a video editor? And I got like so many responses being like, oh, I can help. I can help. And I thought, oh my God, this is incredible. Like, God, I always forget how social media is so excellent for certain tools. So I think, you know, my, I don't really have much anger, to be honest, towards these social media companies, because fundamentally, they are just a platform is how we use it. And I think it's us being so much more vigilant in who we're following and being like creating those boundaries, unfollowing the people that don't like make our feeds look feel good. Um, And also being I guess more mindful in how we're using it and um I you know have put a time limit limit now on Instagram because again like I know all of this stuff but do I do it you know so I'm like really trying to like practice what I kind of talk about and you know put a time limit because even if I go over that limit like consciously I'm like okay you've spent this long on it and it's it's difficult because sometimes I'm searching Instagram for like inspiration images for you know a new collection we're designing or whatever and well that's a positive use of Instagram but if I'm like scrolling on it because it makes me feel bad but then I also think that you know often people really get down about the comparison thing and more and more am I fascinated by like actually looking into that like within yourself why does that person make me feel worse about myself because often that person has something that you want but that doesn't mean that you you can't have it and so whenever I do have those moments of like oh my god like I'm doing useless compared to xyz like they're doing so much better like all of this sort of stuff or when I get feeling really threatened like oh god you know feeling bad on myself rather than going 
oh my God, Instagram, it's terrible. It makes me feel awful. I'm like, okay, what is it about that that makes you feel like this? What is it do you want to cultivate in your own life that would mean that that you won't feel like that anymore? So in a way, I think it's actually quite an interesting platform for self-discovery. But again, like it takes a really good night's sleep to be able to see it like that. Because me on a little night's sleep is calling up my mum being like, nah, <laughs> I'm you know, like self-hate, 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 you know? <laughs> it gets such a good point then. It's so true. I actually noticed recently that because I do the time thing as well on Instagram, I give myself a limit. And so, like you say, you're conscious of when it goes off. Some days you put it down and some days you just carry on for the sake of it. And I've noticed that the days that I spend the most on Instagram are usually the days when I'm feeling the lowest and least happy, which is really quite funny because I'm wanting something to make me have a dopamine hit just on a screen. (laughs) And so that's the sort of pattern that I've noticed. I think it's really interesting that you say, yeah, like noticing why you're doing certain things on Instagram and looking at that within yourself instead of just blaming it on the app itself. It's a really good, different way to look at it. So who has been the most interesting person you've met through your podcast? Oh, that's a really hard one. As we've just hit 52 episodes, I think. And so it's 52 really epic guests. But I think... Oh gosh, I think that so good, so good. Um, I interviewed Moby actually, who was really interesting. You know, Moby the singer, and he was really interesting because he kind of like lives quite like a Buddhist now. And I just think, you know, he says, I feel like he he said in his episode, like I feel like I've done it all. Like I was, you know, he obviously his music was exploded in the early 2000s he was like I lived the most kind of excessive life like I was becoming crazy famous I had loads of money I was having sex with whoever I wanted to have like I lived this life that capitalism and you know often one of the reasons maybe like one of the reasons a lot of people just like work so much is because they want like to accumulate things that is what they want these external kind of um attainments I guess and he's like and I've been there and they made me more sick than anything and he completely changed his life um and now lives a really frugal life and obviously out of choice but I just thought that was just really interesting to hear from someone who really has kind of been like he's you know been at every different position in in life and actually found the one that's created the most peace and so he has like a deeply philosophical view on life and I found that fascinating to hear about but I interview mostly kind of like mental health professionals and like really fascinating kind of wise people I guess and um um and I think Laurie Gottlieb is um, a New York Times bestselling author of uh, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. And she was fascinating in in her kind of, uh, you know, talking about her book and um, and just, I guess, just learning about the inner workings of the mind and how we are more similar than we are different. All of us are just navigating the same like things and I guess that just like brings so much compassion for all of us right because we all want the same things we all want to be loved we all want to be seen and we all want to be heard 
And whenever you're like, oh, you know, whenever I feel myself kind of like going to like, well, like, you know, even at all judgment mode over anyone, I kind of just stop myself and I'm like, they want the exact same thing as you, Poppy. Like, who are you to judge how they get it? And I guess that, that was kind of interesting from that episode. Yeah, I love that. That's so true. We are all just wanting the same things. It just doesn't come out the same way. And then we all end up yeah, judging and going down different routes. But I guess, yeah, think, well, speaking actually of yeah, non-judgment, um, that's obviously more of our spiritual practice and something we all strive for to not judge ourselves as much as we not to not judge others. And I always ask everyone this on the podcast as well. It's the other question I always you know, love to get people's perspectives because I think it means something to everyone. What does spirituality personally mean to you? Um, gosh, kind of everything. Um, I have always led a quite spiritual life, actually. Um, and um, um, I know I was like quite, I was brought up, not that my, my, my well, my mum's a Reiki healer. So we were all, and then my father is, um, you know, would take us to church each week. So we've always had this really diverse kind of understanding of spirituality. And then when I was 13, I used to ask for Christmas books about Buddhism. And then I was like head of the church at school. Like I had this bizarre kind of like, this always, I never really quite understood the curiosity, but a deep curiosity for like spirituality, because, you know, I've always, I think, just known that there is just so many things that we like we we can't see and so many forces at play and then I became like deeply engrossed into astrology when I was about 19 I had had an astrological teacher and um so I think to me spirituality is the most peaceful thing in my life in the sense that when everything is really turbulent, my spirituality is what helps me to know that whatever happens, like I am and everybody's being looked after, like everybody. I do really believe that our world is a compassionate world and our world is only kind of unfolding for all of our greatest good, even though like it feels like, you know, sometimes not like that. And our spirituality is the guess, like, you know, us having trust that, you know, and being able to surrender that, you know, that, that we are, that I guess like, like everything is, everything is un- unfolding perfectly in an imperfect world. Um, you know, and I guess, you know, when things are so, when, when things are going so wrong, and I and I wished I wasn't like this. And I wished I was, you know, I was much better at my spiritual practices when things are going well. But you know, that always happens, right? We we kind of we I think we tend to spirituality when when we feel like we're in crisis. But you know that that in those moments, like I, you know, the only thing you really can do is pray. <laughs> it's just like, you know, like please look after me. And um, and I just think that is just such a like lovely thing. And you can just learn so much from spirituality. Um, it is like the most beautiful kind of combination, I guess, of like compassion, kind of love, like belief, faith, and um, you know, it's and and that and like deep peace. Um and it's something that we can all access but as I said like it you know it 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 takes like conscious intention I think to focus on it yeah I which I often forget about so I'm really not <laughs> the perfect spiritual person <laughs> I think that's the the beauty of it isn't it that um you know 
spirituality, there's no rules with it. So religion may have many different constraints and different rules that certain religions are meant to live by. And that's perfectly, you know, wonderful for them in that religion. But spirituality in itself is more freeing in that if you say, okay, I haven't been practicing my spiritual practice recently, you don't feel guilt because there's nothing saying poppy 10 times a day, you have to pray otherwise X, Y, Z. And it's all about your own personal sort of yeah journey with it, which is yeah really wonderful. And like you say, finding that finding that inner peace, which we're all striving to do every day. So, what's one quote or mantra that's inspired you, or that you'd like to try to live by? Oh, I just actually wrote one uh, down. Um, oh, this is everything, Marion Williamson. And she said, a miracle is just a shift in perspective. And I love that because, you know, every day is full of miracles if we're willing to stay open-minded and curious. Yeah, I love that. I love her so much. I think she's just wonderful. <laughs> and um, what, speaking of her, because great writer, what's one book that's changed your life that you would recommend to other people? Well... Um, I'm going to say two because one is actually bizarrely what has changed my life the most is writing the book I've just written and releasing next year and the research and people I spoke to for this book and just the just the whole this book has literally been like the greatest healing process I've ever been through and I really hope that other people um, kind of like feel the same um, so that is coming out next year. So really, um, really look forward to it and hope that's helpful for people. And then the book that has most helped me, well, got a bunch of different ones, I would say. A recent one I read is called Synchronicity by Dyker Begg. And it was written like 20 years ago. And it is just so beautiful about how our life is full of synchronicity if we notice it and it just oh it's it's a short book it's like 100 pages or whatever but I noted every single page and I loved it so much and then a book that kind of has like sorry I'm just going off on a tangent here but a book that I kind of like um have used uh like really changed I think things for me was Deepak Chopra's The Seven Spiritual Laws of Success that was again it's a small book but it just like was a lovely kind of I guess some of my first like entries into learning more about all of this sort of stuff was that book yeah I love that book actually it's um it's a really great book for people that need to read it and I was going to ask you about your book next year so I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up I mean what can people expect really from that book what's your sort of vision for it so the, the book is all about learning um, a flexible mindset. And I think I got to this point where I was like, resilience doesn't really quite work for me anymore because it's it often like insinuates like getting up when you're wounded and just carrying on. But being flexible in your mind was, you know, ever since I've been, you know, practicing this flexible mindset, it has just brought me so much um 
kind of joy I guess it like really brings the joy back into life and it's it, it kind of teaches you to manage any challenge that or any kind of you know any stone that comes your way how to bend and stretch around it and actually just like you know how we stretch our body to be more subtle we can stretch our mind and it's a four-step process called the flex it's called the flex method and the flex method is based on um connection curiosity choice and commitment and um it has you know, it is, it draws upon wisdom that has been out there for, you know, hundreds of years and really the science behind acceptance commitment therapy and CBT, but it takes it in and really turns it into something that you can, a method and a model you can apply to any situation. And that's what I really wanted for myself. I wanted to like I always say, you know, mindfulness and the Happy Not Perfect app and all of these things that you do every day, it's kind of like brushing your teeth. But what happens when you have like, um, you know, um, your tooth really starts to ache? You know, brushing isn't going to get rid of the ache. You need to go into the root and like clean it out. And the flex is all about going into the root of all your kind of like emotional kind of um, wounds, I guess. And it really has an exploration, really gets curious about what's in them and um, and allows you to like have that awareness to be able to kind of like, you know, turn them around and um, and have a really kind of proactive like outlook on, uh, to life. And it has helped me no end because, you know, those days when sometimes you're just like emotions just take over and you're like I'm never gonna feel anything else and then you're like right let's get to step one and sometimes the four steps can take you the entire day because you just are connecting to how you feel and then you're upgrading your energy and I'll just talk about this one step in particular because um even before the book comes out this is just like changed my life but connection 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 that we are so disconnected from our bodies and often when we are in our heads we you know we're thinking about the future we're thinking about the past we become even more disconnected and that's when we're like I can't ever change how I feel because we're so in our head but this connection step is first of all like acknowledging how you feel and you know there's all this kind of obviously talk around feel your feelings but don't feel your feelings without a, without a structure in place because otherwise you can feel your feelings and then get again get re-lost in them. And Dr. Joe Ro- Dr. Joan Rosenberg, who wrote the 90 Seconds to a Life um, You Love, she's actually been one of my guests and she was fantastic. And she found in her research that emotions only last for 90 seconds. We actually experience 90 second emotion waves. So when, we're fe- when you're feeling something and it's really uncomfortable, it's about sitting with it, sitting with it for 90 seconds and then maybe using a diffusion technique like today I'm feeling really anxious or even better today my mind is feeling really anxious immediately by putting today in I'm feeling anxious you're actually telling your mind that this is going to be over and also my mind is feeling anxious you separate yourself from the emotion and so then once you've like acknowledged once you've connected to yourself and actually connect to how you feel is about upgrading that connection upgrading your energy and they found that like you know shame guilt anxiety, um, um, you know, kind of sadness, they're very like low vibrational energies and we can get stuck there in this kind of like low vibrational modes. So actually by going through a brisk walk or my favorite thing is to do a five minute uh, dance in the morning. I just put on my favorite tune at the moment and I may look like a complete and utter idiot, but I always dance for five minutes to start my day because like you're upgrading your energy. When you're smiling and like doing uh, star jumps, 
it's very difficult to, to stay feeling sad. Like try and say, I feel sad when you're doing star jumps with a smile on your face. It's, it's really hard because you're using your biochemistry, you're using that biohacking to tell your brain how to feel. And, um, and so this is the upgrading step. It's just absolutely key. So anyway, the book goes into all the research behind that, loads of tips um, and uses loads of anecdotes on like how I discovered and how using the, this, this method has like completely changed everything for me in the last few years. Sounds super up my street. I'm so excited to read that. And uh, is it coming out next March, is it? So you can pre-order now, um, which is really... and. All I can say is, please, everyone pre-order now. It really helps me. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> if for some reason, please, like, honestly, with this, I, I'm like, really, it's like such a mindful learning, like, all of this book thing. But basically, if you have pre-orders, it means that, base, it means that like, more people will actually read the book because it will, like, come up on Amazon and stuff. So, anyway, it will be a, a huge help, a huge help if anyone can be bothered to pre-order a book. <laughs> I know it's a hard ask, but if anybody <laughs> wants to, I'd massively appreciate it. I'll be pre-ordering it because, I mean, all that kind of stuff is so up my street. I do smile meditations with, you know, clients just saying, you know, trick your brain, smile with your eyes closed if you're feeling really down and just make your brain tell your body you're actually having it. Make your body, sorry, tell your brain you're having a good day. <laughs> Shift it all. So I think I'm so interested in this book will be such a great thing for everyone to read and it's called happy not perfect the book isn't it yes yeah yeah so pre-order it guys on amazon happy not perfect <laughs> get it now i think i just think anything people can read these days will actually help them from someone who has spent you know years going through that and researching with great people is something we will need so go and pre-order it guys don't be lazy <laughs> try it today but thanks so much for coming on the podcast it's been so wonderful speaking to you and you know for everyone who you know we can find you on your app people can get your app happy not perfect people can find you on the not perfect podcast and of course they can pre-order your book everyone can do that so thank you so much Oh, that's really kind. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope I haven't rambled too much. I am a bit of a chatter. So not at all. <laughs> Hopefully I'm re- so thank you, but thank you so much. It's been so lovely. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with the wonderful Poppy. If you did enjoy it, then find us on social media, tag us in your Instagram stories or send us a DM. We would love to hear from you, particularly in lockdown and any time. And stay tuned and I'll be bringing you an amazing guest again next week. Thank you.